Um, I will say what I know is very little of him, but I know he's from Community Baptist Church, not Ankeny Baptist Church. We discussed that this morning. Um, it also says on our bulletin, I hope this is right, you're the Director of Discipleship there. Um, so we're very excited to hear from you. Uh, come up and uh, share the word with us, please. Drop my mic. <laughs> All right, I see, oh, hi, that's some volume there, sorry. Hello, as he said, my name is Nate Pelletier. Um, we, Laura and I, my wife, we attend Community Baptist Church, and uh, I might have been, been clear on that, I'm the Director of Discipleship at Ankeny Christian Academy. Maybe that's where that confusion happened. Ankeny Christian, Community Baptist, I gotcha. Uh, but I, I've been working, this is my second year going there at, uh, at a, uh, ACA. I'm also a seminarian student, had several classes with Gabe over here, many of our theology classes uh, together. Enjoy that. Excited to be with you guys, excited to share God's Word. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, give you a little bit of the background. I saw that you guys uh, recently went through 1 Corinthians, that was about a couple months ago, right? So I'm sure you remember everything about that. Uh, <laughs> no. Anyway, so a little introduction about 2 Corinthians then. We know, we know that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and there's a huge difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. A lot of people like 1 Corinthians because Paul is really clear, pretty straightforward. It's like, here's what you need to know. Here's what you're doing wrong. Stop doing it. Here's when you do what's right. Start doing that. Pretty straightforward. And then when you go to 2 Corinthians, it's almost like, is this the same Paul? It is. Don't worry about that. It is the same Paul. But what you see here is more of the passionate heart of Paul. Uh, most commentators would say that out of all of Paul's letters, this one you get the most passion of it. And you ask, why? Why would this be the most passionate of Paul's letters? Have you ever done, have you ever worked on a project? You really put your heart into it and you feel like, this is me. This, is, this, is, this represents me. This represents who I am. And then all of a sudden someone comes up and starts criticizing it. Uh, imagine a preacher working on a sermon. They spend all week, maybe several weeks, working on a sermon. Like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share this. This, this, is like, this is like my baby. I'm excited to share this. And then people start criticizing, tearing it down. It's like, oh, kind of hurts, right? Uh, any carpenters in the house? Anyone do carpentry? Great, one person, so he'll get this too. Great. Uh, <laughs> you start working on a project. Uh, in our house, there's a small little um, coffee table that I built and, you know, I spent hours on it. It was one of the first, ta the first table I built, and I was excited about it. But then you get someone else coming in. It's like, oh, that's kind of ugly. Where'd you get that? Goodwill? <laughs> I made it. <laughs> and in a way here, on a more serious level, this is what's happening with Paul. That people are attacking the ministry of Paul, and probably in reaction to 1 Corinthians and another letter that he sent, it's like, wow, Paul is, is he's, he's trying to make us change. He's kind of attacking us in a way. So let's attack him. Let's, let's attack his ministry, make him look like he's in it for the money. Let's, let's make it look like he's in it all about himself. And so then Paul is, receives news from Timothy, uh, from Titus. And Titus is like, man, they're kind of talking down about your ministry. He's like, are you kidding me? I've given my life for this. I've, I'm suffering for this. They think I'm in it for the money. They think that I'm in it for the fame. And then Paul starts pouring out his heart. He's like, I want to show you why I'm doing this. Here's why I'm in the ministry. Here's why. Here's kind of the credibility to what I'm doing here. Because if the ministry of Paul is being attacked, the word of Christ is being attacked too. And so he's really passionate about this because he wants the truth of Christ to come forth. He wants the gospel declared. And if people are attacking his message and saying he's in it just for the fame, he's in it just to promote his own name, there's that, there's that hurt. You kind of you sense that hurt there. So then we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, a little bit before that was going on, Paul talks about how there is comfort in suffering. You're going to see a lot of theme about suffering in, first, in Second Corinthians. Um, and then he talks about, in chapters 1 and 2, how he longs to be with them. Uh, he longs to comfort them and be with them because it's most of the people, most of the people in Corinth, in Corinth like Paul. There's just a couple 
maybe some leaders or some, some false teachers who might have crept in who started to attack Paul, attack his credibility. He says, I, I love you guys. I want to be with you. I can't wait to be with you again. I just want to make sure you know that I love you. I care about you. I really love you. I, I really like you guys. I, I love you. He's trying to get that message of love across. And then in chapter 3, near the second end, starting verse 7, he starts talking about this ministry that he has. He says, all right, let me tell you about the ministry that we're doing. I want to show you and prove to you that this ministry that we're doing, we're not seeking our own gain. We're not doing it for our own popularity. We're not doing it because we're going to get rich off of this. But rather, this new ministry, the ministry of the new covenant, is a ministry of life. And that why are we doing this is that this is the ministry that gives life to those who are spiritually dead. And that is one of the main emphasis that Paul's going to go back to. When you get to chapter 4, Paul starts describing how. Here is how we did this ministry. And so I've, I've called this, what did I remember calling this? Uh, the honest ministry of Paul. Um, in a way, the way I would look at this would be having confidence in a pure ministry. Having confidence in a true ministry. Because if you look at ministry today here in America, you see there's a, a large variety of ways churches do things, right? Not everyone does the same thing. And there's some that goes to complete extremes, right? Like where a pastor will bring a Ferrari on the car, on stage, and he, he has a whole message where he's running around at the auditorium going, Vroom. this is a real thing. There's a video about that. Uh, it's like, okay, that's different. What, what is that pastor trying to do? And then you have others that are the exact opposite, where they're serious and excited about what God is doing. It's like, okay, that seems like another extreme too. I think, where's, where's that balance? And then Paul talks about his ministry and saying, here's how we did our ministry and how we can have confidence in this kind of ministry. Because people are attacking Paul's ministry and saying, Paul, you're not effective. We're going to get there in a minute. But he, he, the people are attacking him and saying, Paul, what you're doing is not working. He says, actually, I want to teach you how you can have confidence in a pure ministry. Also, if I neglect to give you the lines in your outline, just come see me out, uh, see afterwards. I'll do my best to give you those. Uh, I, just, I don't do well with that, so I'm sorry about that. All right, before we dig in, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, as we enter into this text and we see your word and we see Paul's heart and we see how Paul did a ministry that we know honors and glorifies you. I pray that we can look at Paul's example and see what did he do and what are things that we can do to replicate that, to imitate that. Because we know that you've blessed Paul's ministry and that we know that you saved people through Paul's ministry and that people grew through that ministry. Uh, what a great desire for us to have. And so, Lord, as we evaluate and we look as Paul's explaining the ministry that you gave him, may we grow in confidence knowing that the way we serve you will bring results, will bring your results, is the work that you have for us. Pray, Lord, that you help me to have the attitude of Paul in this, the humble, meek attitude, and that it's not about self, but it's about Christ in all this, and that we can leave here encouraged, motivated, and maybe even, even more focused on how we're to go about this ministry that you've given us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's start at chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1, and I'm going to read down probably through till verse 4, and then continue on after that. Second uh, Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, the ministry of the, the, the new covenant, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I'm going to stop there, then we'll pick up from there. I want you to notice Paul's confidence in his ministry. He says, we have this ministry, and yes, it could be discouraging, especially if you're traveling with Paul. So go back in your minds, you know, a couple thousand years, you're walking around with this dude named Paul, you're going around to different churches, and what's happening? You're getting chased out. <laughs> People are throwing sticks at you. They're throwing stones at you. They're cursing your name. The, the Jews don't like you. The Gentiles don't like you. 
Sounds like fun, right? <laughs> you can see how there could be a little bit of discouragement in this new ministry. And even before, in, in the previous context, talking about how people are kind of like blinded to this truth, but we don't, even lose, we don't even get discouraged in that. We do not lose heart. We have confidence in this ministry. We would like to see people getting saved, right? Does anyone like to see people getting saved? All right, half of you, great. Other half will pray for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an exciting thing. When you see God is at work and that he works in someone's life, he, he shows them the truth and that their eyes are open to the gospel and they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's a wonderful, glorious thing. That's what we should be wanting. That's what we should be desiring. That's why we should be going out and sharing the gospel. That's why, that's why we are here. We are here to be a light for that. But doesn't it get a little bit discouraging when it doesn't happen? You go through a spell of like, man, no one's getting saved. What are we doing? Is, is it because we're not sharing the right way? Are we not hip enough? Are we not cool enough? Maybe we need to change our tactics in order to attract the world to see the gospel. And Paul says, no. Let's not lose confidence in the ministry that God has given us. But what have we done? We have renounced dishonest tactics. We have renounced these dishonest tactics. And the way he describes them, he says that these are hidden ways. Uh, the, 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 the language behind it has the word crypta, like cryptic, a hidden meaning where you're doing one thing, but you're doing it, but you're doing it for a different outcome. We're not crafty in our presentation. It's not trickery is what he's trying to say. He's not saying you can't get creative, but he's saying we're not trying to trick people into the gospel. We're not trying to trick people to make them think it's one thing, but then they receive something else. Adulterating or the idea of falsifying, that we're not going to lessen the message. We're not going to change the message that, that we are presenting. Why? Because we want to give them the truth. And so it could be discouraging if people aren't getting saved. It could be discouraging if people aren't coming to the Lord. But we should not lose confidence. So therefore, we're going to renounce false ways. We're going to renounce uh, dishonest tactics in sharing the gospel. But rather, they revealed illuminated truth. Um, that phrase there, uh, in verse 2, we would commend ourselves to every, uh, I'm sorry, a little bit before that. But by the open statement of truth, by the open statement of truth, that they took the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, and the open statement, it's like the, the revealing, the manifestation. You can even say shining the light on it clearly so you can see it. Uh, Laura and I were working on this project, this, this what is that thing called? The cabinet thingy. And we, we sh as we paint on it, we shine light on it on every single spot to see if we're missing anything. Mainly because I'm painting. I'm an awful painter. I don't paint well. I don't cut things well either. I don't know why I'm helping. Anyway. Um, but we shine this light so we can openly see everything. And it, it can be clear to see what needs to, be, what needs to happen. And so Paul is saying that we have confidence in this ministry that we're going to renounce this honest tactics. But rather, we're just going to give them the truth. We're going to show them the honest truth. As we stand before man, we want you to know we're giving you the truth. And in the audience of God, or in the presence of God, or also before God. So as we stand before mankind, as we stand before God, what we want to be sure that what we are doing is that we are about the honest truth. Have you ever seen people try to change the mess of the gospel so that it's more accepting? Well, you know, you're not that bad of a sinner. You know, your, your sin's okay, and we take away the severity of sin and how sin separates us from God, and that the, the worthy judgment of sin is an eternity in hell. But we try to take away that message and say, well, you know, you're not that bad. You know, maybe God will save all people. Well, maybe God will, you know, you don't have to change your life. You just need to do this. You just need to believe. And what are we doing is we're changing the truth in order that it's more palatable. Um, in a way, Paul refers to this as peddling the truth, selling the truth in a false way. And say we cannot lose confidence in the surety of the gospel, that we can't change how we share it because our job is to illuminate truth. Our job is to show and reveal truth. And, and that truth, as we, as we stand before man, we want to let them know, we're showing you truth. 
and as we stand before God, we want, we want, them to, we want him to see, God, we are re- presenting your truth. Not our truth, not adapting or adultering your truth, but we're representing the truth that you have given us. Verse 3. And so then this is where the lack of confidence can come. We imagine that some of the, the, the false teachers in the church of Corinth were saying, well, look at Paul's ministry. The gospel is veiled. People aren't getting saved. Not enough people are getting saved. How can Paul be an effective minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ if people aren't getting saved? Because it's not about the message. Notice verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why is it that people aren't turning to the Lord? It's because they're blinded. They can't see truth. They don't naturally see or revealed these truths. What do they need? They need people to come and declare these truths. But yet, there is a power at work seeking to deceive the nations. Satan. This is what he does. He goes around, he establishes these, these, the, the mindset of the world. Why? In order to distract from the gospel. I grew up in Quebec as a missionary kid, and uh, I remember we were going around handing out invitations for something. I can't remember what. And there's this, I don't know why this one guy sticks in my mind. But I went up to this one guy, we started talking. He was a Catholic, semi-Catholic. And, um, and I said, hey, you, you, you need this. This is important for your life. He said, oh, it doesn't really concern me. Is there a massive lie that he's believing? Is, he like, is there like cunning craftiness going on there? Not really. It's simple. He believes the gospel doesn't matter. He just believes that this isn't important. It's not a big deal. Why does he think that? That's what our world teaches. That truth is relative. You can make truth whatever you want. And if you want church, it's good for you. It's good to be a good person. Um, but you don't need it. That's, that's Satan at work in our world today. There's this spiritual, this spiritual battle going on. There's a spiritual wrestling going on that what we need to be doing is we need to be in prayer. We need to be praying that God is at work in our world, that God is setting forth laborers, that God is helping us to fight against the powers around us, and that God would open the eyes of the blind. There's a spiritual warfare going on. There is the God of this world, Satan, who is blinding the mind of the unbelievers. He is actively, presently working at doing that. And so the reason people aren't getting saved is not because our gospel isn't true. The reason people are not getting saved is not because we're not crafty enough, we're not cryptic enough, we're not changing the message enough for them to accept it. That's not the problem. The problem is is that they have been spiritually blinded and they don't see the need. And when you look at the hope, what is the hope? Uh, Look at the second half of verse 4. So he keeps them from seeing what? The light of the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, it's of the glory of Christ. So what is the answer? What is the light that they need? It's not a crafty message. It's not a, it's not a form of trickery to make them hear the gospel in a sneaky way. What they need is they need the message of Christ. They need the gospel, the good news of Christ. Because that is the light that is being shown. And kind of the picture here is interesting of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. What are people spiritually blinded to? They're spiritually blinded to seeing who God is. They're spiritually blinded of seeing who they actually are. And so you have, in a way, this hidden God from the unbelieving world. And what does Christ do? Christ comes as the light and shines the light to the hidden world. Here's who you really are. You are actually sinners separated from your creator. And then as the image of God is here's who God is. Here is your creator who loves you and cares for you and has sent me to die on the cross to atone for your sins. And so the answer is not changing our method or our message. The answer is preach Christ. The answer is shine light. Shine the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, I have them somewhere. 
Okay, I have my note. There we go. Uh, look at a couple of references with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. We see that this is, what, what was the substance of Paul's message? What was the gospel that he preached over and over and over again? And why did he preach that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks sees, seek wisdom. The Jews want something fancy done. The Greeks want you to philosophize with them. But, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It's not the message they want. The Jews want, well, give us another sign. Show us a sign that this is actually true. Christ gave them all the signs. The ultimate sign is the resurrection. The Greeks want the great, the great wisdom of the philosophers to, to know truth and to know, what, to know these great philosophies. And God is saying, or, or Paul is preaching, but the message of the gospel, it confuses you because it's not great wisdom. It's actually folly to you. Paul didn't change his message. Um, Continuing verse 23, a stumbling block to the Jews and follow to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Why does Paul declare the gospel of Christ? Why does Paul spend his time preaching Christ crucified? Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4. What is the point here? That Paul never changed the message. Paul always preached Christ and Christ crucified. Um, when you look at Acts, 7, uh, Acts 17, when Paul goes to Athens, okay, to a bunch of Greek people, a bunch of philosophers, right? He goes and he preaches to them. He doesn't change the message. He talks about creation, how there's a God who created you, that all are accountable to him. And then at what point did people start mocking Paul about his message? We start pre preaching about the resurrection. If Paul's preaching about the resurrection, I guarantee you he's preaching about the crucifixion too. So all throughout no matter who the audience was, the content of the message has to be Christ, Christ crucified and risen again from the dead. Why? It's the, the power is in the gospel. It's not about a form of trickery. It's not about a craftiness. It's not about whatever. The, the, the emphasis is our message has to be Christ, publicly declared. We can't have a hidden message of Christ. It can't be a sub-point about Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. And then Paul goes on to say, it's not even about me. Looking back at verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. We preach Christ as Lord. We ourselves as your servants, as your slaves, for what cause? For, for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Again, you get this picture of how, I don't know if this is a word, I might just be making up a word right now, but how Christ is the illuminator. Illuminator, is that a word? Okay, sure, we'll go with it. If you use it, I won't charge you for that one. Uh, <laughs> but how Christ is the illuminator. The illuminator of what? Of our sin, the severity of our sin, but also he is the image, the face of God. So as our world is seeking well, maybe not seeking, but as our world asks the question, who is God? Who is this God I'm supposed to worship? Who is this God I'm supposed to repent to? We point to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the image bearer, is the face of the glory of God. And why is it important that we preach Christ? Because Christ is the illuminator. What's the problem with the world? They're blinded. They cannot see a neat point about this illustration that Paul is using how Christ illumines and shines the lights and shows the glory of God and shows the severity of sin. Does that remind you of anything of like maybe Acts 9 when Paul was on the road of Damascus on his way to persecute the Jews? I'm sorry, the, the church. 
and uh, he was on that road, and all of a sudden, what came shining? There's this bright light. It's kind of ironic what happened to Paul when he saw the light. He got physically (laughs) blinded. But what happened to him inwardly? He saw the light. So he gets blinded by the light. He falls down. He hears the Lord, he hears the Lord speak and says, Saul, why do, you per, uh, why do you persecute me? And Paul's like, what are you talking about, Lord? He says, when you're persecuting church, you're persecuting me. And then he goes, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And you see how Jesus is the light that illuminated the eyes of Paul to see his desperate need of the true God. The God that he thought he knew the God that he thought he was serving. And so as Paul is going through this in 2 Corinthians, I can only imagine that Paul is thinking about his salvation. As he is walking down the road, he thinks he's spiritually, uh, he, he can see everything spiritually. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He's one of the top dogs in, in the area. And he thinks he's got it. But then God blinds him to show him his real blindness. Like, Paul, you missed it. You think you're serving me, but you're not. And who was it that illuminated Paul? It was Christ. It was the message of Christ. And so then what does Paul do after that? He goes and declares the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We we can see why the rejection of the gospel can be discomforting, can be discouraging, right? Because like, we should be sharing the gospel, we should see people getting saved. You ever notice that in the Bible... God doesn't evaluate success by the numbers. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. How many people did Noah bring to the Lord? He lost the world. (laughs) Big numbers, right? Uh, What about Isaiah? Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel sent to a people who would not hear, who would not listen to them. William Carey, a missionary sent out for eight years, didn't see a single convert. Jim Elliott, a guy who was killed without even giving the gospel to them directly. Does God use these men as failures? If you want to talk about rejection, what about Jesus? I think it's rather evident that the people rejected Jesus. But there's no way we would deem them as failures. When God looks at a ministry, when God evaluates the the quality of a ministry, what does he look for? It's faithfulness. Over and over again, it's faithfulness. In uh, Matthew 24 and 25, you have the Olivet Discourse where Jesus goes through all this eschatological things that I'm not going to cover. But then at the end of it, he gives you the application, the so what of eschatology. He says, so therefore, you need to watch and be ready For when Christ comes back, what is he looking for? It's not how many people you led to the Lord. It's not how many tracts you hand out. He says he's looking for the faithful and wise servant. What does God look for in a ministry? He looks for faithfulness. This is why Paul is not willing to tamper with the message of the gospel. This is why Paul is not willing to change truths. This is why Paul is not wanting to trick people into the gospel. This is why he gives an open-faced statement of here's truth, here it is, and we're going to let Jesus Christ shine that light in that person's life and let Jesus do what Jesus does. Because it's not up to me to save people. I'm not the Savior. I can't wisely convince someone to be saved. I can't cunningly trick someone into being saved. God is the one who does the saving. God is the one who does the work. What is my job is to faithfully share truth. And we can find confidence in this kind of ministry because we can look and say, oh, we got to change things up. We got we to mix things up. We got to get crafty. And what happens is, again, not that you can't get creative, okay? I don't want to take away from that. Use the abilities God has given you to share truth. You have a wonderful music group over here. I mean, there's, a, there's another great way of sharing truth through music as long as it's Christ-centered. You could do a, a, a VBS, a kids ministry, where you have funds and games and decorations as long as it's founded on the truth of Christ. You can do door-to-door handing out gospels as long as it's on, founded on the truth of Christ. 
the emphasis is on the message, that we don't change the message and we're not ashamed of the message, but we boldly declare that message through the avenues that we are serving God. Verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, reference to Genesis 1, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know why you were saved? Do you know why God shone that light in you? It's so that God could work in you and shine light to others. It's this reciprocal thing that just keeps going on and on. That God shone light into Paul. That God shone light into uh, to you. And that through you, he wants to continue showing that light to declare the glories of God to a lost and dark world. Kind of like Matthew chapter 5. What is that? Verse 13, verse 14. That says, let your works be done before men so that when they see your good works, they honor the Father. And so Paul starts shifting and saying, I didn't, I didn't cunningly give a message. I didn't trick anyone. I wasn't peddling the gospel. But then he's saying, actually, who am I? I'm just a servant. I'm just here to serve God, to serve you. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure. What is this treasure? It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Simplified, the gospel. We have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay referring to himself, a clay jar, a, 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 a very simple clay pot. It's not fancy. You kick it, you tap it, it's probably going to crack. You don't put it up in, in front of everyone and go, look how amazing this brown jar is. And we go, it's a jar, right? It's not about the jar. It says that we have this treasure, that this incredible treasure of the, of the truth of the gospel, this light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ is in these jars of clay, it's in me. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God. The point of the messenger is to show the power of God, not about the power of the messenger. If a preacher comes in and preaches, and all you go, wow, that was a decent preacher, but your, your understanding about God is diminished or not even enhanced, what's the point of the preacher? The preacher is to declare Christ. This should give us confidence because let's, let's get honest here, okay? Are we allowed to be honest with each other? Is that okay? Okay. Uh, is sharing the gospel scary? Yes or no? Yes, okay. By raising your hand, that meant yes, obviously. Uh, how many of you guys have had an opportunity to share the gospel, but you didn't because you were afraid? Okay, okay. There's several wretches with me. Thank you. <laughs> the confidence is this. Why do, we, why do we get so afraid? Well, I might mess it up. I don't know what to say. What if they're smarter than me? They look really smart. They have books. They're probably really smart. Um, or, or I don't know what I'm going to say in that time. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. If you can share your testimony, if you can share John 3.16, if you can say, hey, Jesus Christ came, died on the, on the cross for your sin, and rose again so that you can have new life, it's the message. What if I deliver it wrong? Or what if I don't deliver it clearly? It's not your job to save. It's your job to share. And so Paul is saying here, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why, why are we jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God? It's not about how great of a witness I can be. It's not about how crafty of a witness I can be. It's about how awesome the power of God is. And if God can use my stammering tongue that, that gets tongue-tied all the time, if he can do that, it's because it's his glory. If it's my craftiness, who gets the glory? Me. Paul says we're just jars of clay. And look at what happens with the jars. Verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. All right. You take a, you take a jar. Does any of, you, any of you guys know what a vase is, like a, a, clay, a clay jar? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. If you take that jar and you afflict it. Let's say we're going to whip it. We, we're going to whip that jar. What's going to happen to the jar? All right, yeah, I like that. That's a great description of that. That might even be the Greek. All right. It's going to break apart. If you take that jar and you perplex it, how do you perplex a jar? I don't know. Just imagine with me. What's going to happen to it? It's going to fall apart. You take a jar and you persecute it. You kick it. You beat it. You throw it around. What's going to happen to the jar? It's going to break. If you strike down the jar, what's going to happen? It's 
going to break. But notice what Paul says. Those, all these things happen, we are not destroyed. We are not cast down. We are not forsaken. We are not driven to despair. He should be. With all the beatings and physicalities that Paul went through in the ministry of the sharing of the gospel, there's no way this guy should be alive. There's no way this guy should be of the right mind. But how is it that this guy is still going around sharing the gospel and still alive? It's because it's the power of God in him. It's the power of God working through him. And so he's saying, because people are saying, well, Paul, people aren't getting saved because people aren't getting saved in your ministry, so how can your ministry be good? Because it's not about me saving people. It's about God shining the light. Well, Paul, you're getting persecuted wherever you go, so people don't like you. People aren't accepting you. So how can your ministry be good? It's because, you know what? This is happening, but I'm not being destroyed. There's a God behind me. There's a God in me working through me to share that gospel. And yes, I can take the beatings. I can do these. Well, not that I, I can take the beatings, but I can take the beatings because it is God who has sent me. It is God who has commissioned me. It is God who is working in me to be a ministry and all these things he's allowing to happen to me in order that the gospel goes forth. Verse 11. Oh, I'm sorry, back at verse 10. What are we doing? We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested, may be revealed, may be illuminated in our bodies. What is he saying here? Why do we go through all these things? Why do we go through the shame, the pain, the mockery, the rejection, the chasing? It's because we are bearing the death of Jesus in us. So we bear the death of Jesus so that people see the life of Christ. Jesus talk, taught this, John 15. In John 15, Paul, uh, Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room, and he says, if they have rejected the master, what do you think they're going to do to the servants? If they're going to kill the master, what do you think they're going to do to the servants? And over and over again, Jesus talks about his disciples as being slaves, being willing to suffer. Sharing the gospel is hard work. Sharing the gospel brings about suffering. Why? Well, think about it. You're telling lost, blinded people that they're lost, blinded, on the way to hell. Not the most, you know, uplifting message right off the bat, right? But it's the truth. And they need to see how Christ shows the sin in their lives, how Christ reveals um, their, their separation from God, and how God reveals, how Jesus reveals the holiness of God, and that they need that Christ in order to have a relationship with Him. Of course, there's going to be rejection. Who likes to be told, like, hey, you're blind, you can't see? Um, have you ever played any sports like that? <laughs> you know, you're a basketball player and you're a point guard. You ever been called blind because you can't make a good pass? If you're a quarterback, uh, are we Kansas City fans here, or what's our, what's our football team? Bears? Who said that? Who said uh, uh, My man. My man. All right, good. Bears fan. All right, that's a perfect example. Bears quarterback are blind. <laughs> they, <laughs> I can say that. Um, that's why they run so much. Anyway, you, you understand that it's not, it's not a compliment to say that you're blinded that you can't see, that you're not doing it right. But yet, that's the truth. And we can't change that truth. And so Jesus says that you're going to go out, you're going to suffer from many things. And actually, in Acts chapter 9, when uh, Paul is blinded, and he's, he's hiding, well, not hiding, but he's in the house kind of figuring out what's going on, he sends Ananias. He says, Ananias, go find Paul, uh, Saul, go find Saul, give him his sight, and Anna's like, do you know this, this Saul guy? He's like kind of killing us. Like, go and tell him, for, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And so Paul, I think Paul clearly knew that in the ministry of sharing the gospel, suffering wasn't a sign of failure. It's actually probably a sign of success. <laughs> now, we can definitely take that to an extreme. Um, that, well, if people are against us, Obviously, we must be doing the right thing. Go read First Peter. Paul says, if you're suffering because you're stupid, that's on you. Suffer for the right reasons. That's a simplified version of First Peter there. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe 
And so we also speak. What is Paul saying here? Uh, Paul is quoting Psalm 116, verse 10, where the psalmist is saying that I believe, so therefore I speak, even though I'm suffering. That suffering shouldn't stop the message. That suffering shouldn't stop the faith. But rather, it should embolden this faith. Um, so Paul says, just like the psalmist said, I believe and so I speak, we believe. We believe what God is doing. And so therefore, that's why we speak. So they're speaking by faith. Why do they go on and share the gospel? Because by faith, they're accepting what God has told them to do. Go and share the gospel. By faith, they're accepting they've been commissioned to be messengers of the light. By faith, they're accepting that this persecution is really tough, but this is what God wants us to do. But what strengthens that faith? Keep reading verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is the um, speaking by faith, strengthened by hope. So as you go out and declare the gospel, we do it as an act of faith, that God can use my stumbling tongue, God can use my limited knowledge, and I'm going to speak the unedited truth, the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to speak it by faith. I'm going to trust that God's going to use this. Even if there's suffering, even if it's awkward, even if it's weird, even if I'm just having a bad day, by faith, I'm going to declare the gospel, the light of the glory of God. But what's the confidence? The confidence is the future. In this passage, Paul starts shifting, and we won't go into chapter 5, even though it'll be fun to go through all of chapter 5, <laughs> if you want to spend the next three hours together. Um, but in chapter 5, Paul starts shifting to look at the eternal hope that we have, the eternal perspective. Why is it I can go through five minutes of awkwardness with an unbeliever to share the gospel? Why is it that I can go out and declare the truth to my community knowing that they could probably just reject me? Why is it I can go through the suffering, the shame, and the persecution because it's temporary? And what God has for us in the future is eternal glory. And he doesn't even describe all of it. Uh, let, let's keep reading uh, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We get to be with God. This life now is for him. Uh, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Everything about my life is for him. But to die is gain. Why? I get to be with him. So this life now is about him. The life to come is about being with him. And so this life that's for him, that I am just a jar of clay. I am an earthen vessel. I am a slave for Christ. In this life, I'm there to serve him, be with him, uh, to, to declare his truth, to share the gospel. And yes, I might get beaten, I might be shamed, it might be awkward, I might be rejected, but it's okay because God has an eternity where I'm with him forever. Keep reading in the verse uh, 15. For it is all that all is describing the previous persecution through verses 7 and 8 uh, to 10. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is a hard concept. I, I, I struggle with this concept, but it's true. The point of witnessing is not about seeing lost people getting saved. That is, our, that, that is a good desire. That is a thing that we should long for. But why should I go and share the gospel? It is to extend the thanksgiving towards God. The reason why I need to go and share with so-and-so the gospel of Jesus Christ is because God is worthy of that glory. God is worthy of that person 
getting saved, accepting that salvation, and then for the rest of eternity, giving thanks back to God. We like to be so humanly focused, and I think it's good. You, you read throughout the rest of Corinthians, you see Paul's concerned about people. Paul even says that I, I become all things to all people so that some may accept Christ, and that Paul is concerned about people. Paul even says, I wish I could give myself up and suffer the eternities of hell so that Israel can be saved. There's nothing wrong with having concern about people. There's nothing wrong about wanting people to, to get saved. There's nothing wrong about having people not go to hell and be in heaven with God. But the primary purpose of sharing the gospel, the primary purpose of seeing people saved is not to grow a church, is not to get more numbers. The primary, pur- pe- the primary purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so that there's more people giving thanks to God for eternity. It's about the glory of God. So that grace extends to more people. And as that grace is extended, thanksgiving is increased to the glory of God. This should give you confidence in your witnessing. Because in your witnessing, it's not, a, it's not even about the person. It's not about me it's not about my craftiness. It's not even about the person. It's for the glory of God. Uh, I heard this one guy, name is Mike, Mike, Mike Winger. Mike Wing, I think it was Mike Winger. Uh, he commented that in evangelism, I need to care more about God than I do even about the person I'm witnessing to. Because if I'm so concerned about the person I'm witnessing to, what I'm focusing on, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to confuse them. I don't want to mess them up. I don't want to do that. And it's, it, it's understandable to have that, that, that compassion for the people. But the way he says is like, I need to be more concerned about their relationship with God than my relationship with them. I should be willing to be rejected by the people I witness to. I should be willing to be mocked by the people I witness to because it's not about my relationship with them. I'm just an earthen vessel. I'm just a jar of clay. I am just a slave for my master, and I need to have more concern about their relationship with God than my relationship with them. That's why we don't change up the message. That's why we don't hide the truth. That's why in our ministry, we openly reveal, we openly show what the truth of God is. We share it in love, of course, But it's not a concern about the people. It's a concern about God's glory. There's a ministry in Minneapolis called Engage Global, and they have a a catchphrase that talks about their mission emphasis. And that it's two phrases. Enjoy His grace, extend His glory. And I think it sums up very well what we are supposed to do as Christians. As Christians, we get to enjoy God's grace. Amen? We get to believe, we, we know our sins are forgiven. We know we have an eternal hope with God. We know we have eternal life with Him. We know that we are saved, that we are redeemed, that we are His, we are His own. We know that He has more for us in the future. We have been, uh, our eyes have been open to see the truth. We have been forgiven. We get to enjoy His grace. But is that the end of what we're supposed to do? No. As Paul says here, we are to extend that grace, which does what? Extends God's glory. So as much as we are enjoying the confidence of the surety, knowing that we are saved, I don't have to face an eternity of hell, that I get to be with God forever. I get to enjoy that grace. Why don't I go and extend that glory? extend the glory of God and, and, and share the gospel so that others can show their thankfulness to God for all of eternity. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. I think this kind of sums up well what Paul is trying to say about going and sharing that truth. 1 Corinthians 9, looking at verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. 
the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. He never changed the message. He may change what he did, how he did, but he never changed the message. 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he, he was with the Gentiles. He lived as the Gentiles, but under the law of Christ, still living in the way that honored Christ. That I may win those outside of the law. Verse 23. To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all. Why? For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Why should I have confidence in witnessing? Why should I have confidence in outreach? It's because it's not about me. It's not about my method of delivering the message. It's not about my abilities. The abilities I have, the mind I have, the tongue I have is given to me by who? God. And if God can use a Moses, if God can use a Paul, if God can use a Nate Pelletier, he can use you because he made you in a specific way for a specific purpose, for a specific task, to share a gospel to specific people. And so we should have this confidence because it's not about you. It's about declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not even about me sharing it so that they can get saved. It's about me sharing it so that God gets more glory. It's about me sharing it so that grace is extended to have more thankfulness to God for the rest of eternity. That's that last phrase there in verse 23, that I may share with them in its blessings, what the blessings of the gospel, the blessing that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again, declared victory over death, and now is the illuminator to those who are blinded in darkness and that they can see who they actually are in their sins. They can see who God is without the blindness of their sins and then be unified with Him in a relationship through this new covenant. We need to have confidence in the truth. And Paul is saying that I did not scandalize the truth. I didn't change the truth. I publicly declare the truth. And I have confidence in the truth. Even though people don't are accepting it, they're not accepting it because they're blinded. It's God who shines the light. Even though I'm being persecuted, that's okay. Jesus already told us <laughs> I was going to suffer, that I was going to be persecuted. And so why do I go doing ministry about this way? Because it's about the glory of God. It's about people giving thanksgiving to the wonderful Savior for all of eternity. I hope this encourages you as we look at Paul's ministry, that we would go and do the same. The next part, uh, we won't take time to go to verse 16 and 18, but we could give them the lines. So we don't lose heart. He kind of sums up the whole, whole point there. Our wasting away is preparing us for eternal glory. Now, I encourage you, as you read the next part, starting in verse 16, on through chapter 5, I'm not sure if chapter 6 continues, but at least through chapter 5, Paul explains that the eternal glory, eternally minded, is what helps him uh, in his ministry also. So may this encourage you, embolden you, and give you confidence in the ministry that God has given you. Because we are to go and shine the light of Jesus Christ in our earthen vessels too. I will pray and then we will end. Father God, we are thankful for the wonderful ministry that you did through Paul. Even this, it's not about Paul. It's not about what he did or who he was. It's about the God he served and what you did through him. Lord, may we take the same confidence, the same surety that you are the God who saves, you are the God who illumines, you are the God who works, and that we are simply earthen vessels called to serve you and share the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.